everyone, and welcome to another episode of Rock and Retrospect. I'm your host, Nick Bamback. Today, I'm joined by David Lizerbram, who is the co-host of the Rock Docs podcast. How's it going tonight, David? It's going great. Yeah, so let's talk a little bit about your podcast. When did it get started? Yeah, so um, I'm the co-host. You were supposed to have me and my other co-host, Andy Keats, but unfortunately, he was not able to make it tonight, so... Uh, listeners imagine me, but then also another person who's like more charming and insightful and thoughtful and has more interesting things to say. And that would be the uh, that would be the podcast that uh, that we do. Um, yeah, we, we're all about music documentaries. Started in 2021, I guess. Yeah, a late COVID kind of situation. Yeah, me and Andy, um, we've been friends for a while and we have kids like the same age and we live near each other. So when COVID first hit, we were like a pod. Remember, like that was like a cool thing to be like a pod in 2020. Um, and so we um, we were hanging out, you know, our wives and kids and everything all the time. Uh, we were like the only people we saw. And inevitably, our conversations would just go to music documentaries because we're both obsessed with music documentaries. And it was like, you know, after a while, it was like, uh, all right, you guys, like, <laughs> what are you doing over here? You know, um, enough uh, talking about the history of the Eagles or whatever. And um, so we'd both done podcasts before and it just kind of evolved into like, hey, maybe this is um, something we could talk about endlessly. And, uh, and you know, so it's been uh, a lot of fun, a really great response from audience, which is super nice. Um, we've had like really great guests, not, I mean, some of the episodes, just the two of us, some of us, some of them are guests, whether it's a uh, you know, a, a filmmaker, a musician, a music writer, or fan, or podcaster, or other, what all kinds of other things. And we love when we have a guest on. We usually let them choose the documentary they want to talk about because then, you know, it might be something that we hadn't even thought of or might not even have known about. Um, they kind of bring their own take to it. And so, um, yeah, I mean, people are like, "Oh my god, how many of these things are there? Like, are you going to run out?" And we're like, "No, we have lists of like hundreds and hundreds of documentaries. We're just never going to run out." And they keep making them. Like, I mean. Pretty much every week, a new one kind of drops somewhere. So, yeah, it's a it's a it's a fertile topic, and we enjoy it. It's a great podcast. I've listened to it uh, over the last several months, and it's really, really wonderful because I love music documentaries, and that's partly what we're going to do on my show now is we're going to talk about recent music documentaries or movies and just kind of have a conversation because it's a little bit topical, but also it allows us to talk about artists that maybe are so impactful that they don't get an artist themed episode because their story's so well known or you know but it's more yeah. fun that way and that's why we're here to talk about elvis which we're recording this on the day that the academy awards were announced like the nominations and this movie got eight nominations um among the most nominated movies on this year's uh list and it's nominated for best picture best actor for austin butler among many other um awards and yeah it's basil urban so it's like very polarizing because if like for listeners he did moulin rouge and he did the great gatsby in australia and romeo like that. plus juliet <laughs> oh that, you know i defend that movie that was but, like so oh i love it that was like huge when i was in high school that was just like the biggest thing and i haven't seen it since so like i kind of have like a you know a fond memory of it i don't know how it would hold up but i i mean i watched it like a million times when i was you know when when i was young <laughs> and uh it was a blast 
one of my friends is a high school English teacher and he taught Romeo and Juliet and he showed them that. And he's like, I don't know how it is, Nick. I, I don't know how it holds up. And he really liked it. He was kind of like, there were some scenes I might've had to like fast forward a little because it's a little, you know, graphic or whatever. But he was like, oh, I love it. And I was, that's great because Boz is not for everyone. But when he is dialed in just right, I think he's a really uh, wonderful filmmaker. Let me ask, like, because we I asked you to pick any music documentary or movie of the last year or two why would why elvis i have a thing that i generally don't like biopics and people like often because they're not paying like attention to our show all day long like we are like they might get you know confused or like assume that we're talking about biopics and documentaries or that we i don't know whatever people ask us about them all the time so it's kind of like become a bit where like we just like you know won't discuss biopics or we won't acknowledge them or whatever. So now we've kind of adopted a policy and this is the first instance of the policy actually being put into place or told to anybody other than me and Andy that we will talk we will discuss or review biopics but only on other people's podcasts, not on our own podcast. So I love if you want us biopics. to if you want us to discuss a biopic person out there listening, <laughs> invite us on your podcast. We'd be happy to do it, but we will not do it on our show. <laughs> um, you know, whatever. We made the rule. We could break the rule. But um, uh, yeah, I mean, it's, uh, you know, it it certainly is a, a, a major uh, topic of conversation. I love Elvis, like Elvis, the singer uh, known as Elvis. And um, we actually did an episode uh, about the HBO Elvis two-part documentary series. Um, oh, The Searcher. It came out a few years ago. Yeah, The Searcher, directed by Tom Zimney. We love that. That was great. I talk about that as well. Yeah, I mean, this is the hot biopic topic of the year. So especially right now with Oscar season and all that stuff. So I felt like it had to be uh, it had to be addressed. Most definitely. And I do want to say for listeners, too, we've been discussing doing this episode for the last month or so. And this was before Lisa Marie Presley's untimely death. So it makes it a little sad almost because I rewatched it uh, tonight when I got home. And it was just one of those things. Where it, it's so sad to watch in a way in the context of now that, you know, she's gone because in the movies here as a yeah. child. Yeah, of course. I mean, that's sad. And I mean, all I can say is that, you know, I'm happy. Like she seemed to really mm -hmm. appreciate the movie and the reception that it got. And really was seemed to be honored by um, Austin Butler's performance as her dad, who she, you know, really didn't know that well, um, you know, because he died when she was young. And so it's a real shame and tragedy about her loss. But, you know, I'm glad that at least in the last whatever year of her life, she got to see people appreciating her dad again in a way that maybe hadn't been so much in the culture recently. Like, I feel like, you know, last, I don't know, 10, whatever number of years almost like generation Elvis had kind of been a little bit forgotten kind mm -hmm. of like the dustbin of history like El you know the Beatles are like as more big more popular than ever and you know certainly Queen and other people you know maybe that you know or we're conflating like a 20-year era here but um you know it, it as a fan but also as you know certainly as a family member you know it seems to have brought her some some joy and some comfort seeing that that legacy is still going to live on absolutely and I think that the Presley estates a response to the Lerman movie has been very overwhelmingly positive. And it's really um, interesting because Elvis is such an iconic figure, not even in music, but just pop culture and really like such a huge figure that it's almost kind of impossible to try to tell his story, even at a two and a half, three hour biopic to do him justice because he's just one of those figures that he literally changed the trajectory of 
American culture, music, everything we know in many ways. And he's been dead for 45 plus years, but the legacy still is so impactful and just it's just amazing so let me ask like did you like the way that lerman i guess constructed elvis's story because you know like there's some liberties he takes obviously but are there some things that you feel that he did maybe a little too radically or i I guess is that yeah i yeah i totally hear you saying all right i mean everybody has their own kind of preferences and things like that Number one, I like Baz Luhrmann. I've seen most of his movies and I enjoy them. And so, you know, his style works for me, typically. Uh, Number two, though, uh, when a movie is based on something, based on a real person or a real situation, they'll just, this is my own personal preference. I do not care at all how accurate it is relative to the real thing that happened in real life. Like, it does not matter to me at all. It's not interesting or relevant. If you want to know what happened, like read a book or go look it up on Wikipedia. And I think sometimes criticism of movies that are based on reality, but then take liberties, mm-hmm. like assumes everybody in the audience is an idiot. And like, is just going to buy whatever the movie says and assume that's true, which, okay, yes, movies are influential, maybe less more, <laughs> less now than at some point in the past. But yeah, you know, some people are going to watch a movie that's based on a real person and just assume that that's true or more or less true. Fine, but how much due diligence was that person doing into this subject before? You know what I mean? It's just like if somebody really cares to learn what really happened, they can certainly look it up. You know, the facts are out there. So when you're making a movie, like who gives? Like just make an entertaining movie or make the movie you want to make. And if that means departing from reality, like who can like whatever? I doesn't matter to me at all. Like oh, if the movie I, works or doesn't work, that's not a factor for me. I always look at it like the director or the writer or producer. They're like historians, but also they're interpreters of one person's story. So they might tell it slightly different from one way of telling their story or maybe leaving stuff in or out or whatever. But it's all about interpretation, especially in the past. And it's almost like an impossible task to try to condense someone's life to a biopic and you're always going to leave stuff out to me it's what they do with it that matters and like are they doing something that insightful or is it kind of making us think differently about someone like elvis for example that like maybe we didn't think about or i don't know if that's like um how you feel as well but it just i like when directors take chances especially in biopics which is kind of a sterile genre i like biopics and i don't probably in the minority because i know a lot of people don't but i <laughs> they seem to be very popular so i think i would not put you in the minority they're cr- constantly cranking them out and they've been biopics since like literally the day hollywood began and you know so this is not a new genre you know you can go back right. as far as you want and there's biopic it's certainly uh, a, a time-tested genre and I hear what you're saying. I, you know, I like, I mean, I enjoyed this movie. I thought it was entertaining, which is kind of the point of Elvis on, on one level. It kind of told his story in some fantastic interpretation. And that's fine. I mean, funny enough, this just just tonight, my uh, we were like getting my five year old ready for bed. And I had just been like rewatching part of the movie before this. And so just, you know, like when you have a little kid, you just have to constantly be coming up with ways to entertain them. So yeah. I was like, let me tell you the story of this man named Elvis. And he's like, oh, tell me, daddy. Like, you know, so I just kind of told him a condensed, uh, very 
bodlerized, very, uh, you know, five-year-old friendly version of the story. Like this boy had this dream and he always wanted to sing and he came from this poor family in Tupelo, Mississippi, but he wanted to entertain people and blah, 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 blah. And like, you know, I kind of just told him a quick five-minute story about Elvis's rise and left out all the other, you know, (laughs) all the other uh, samey details. But that's also a version of the Elvis story. Like, right? I mean, like, what's the difference? I mean, it's just the one that I made up off the top of my head to like, past five minutes with my kid certainly there's a lot more effort and energy put into this this film but on the other but there is a connection there meaning like this is a legendary figure you know paul bunyan or something i mean that's just how these people are it's like folklore um, at this point it's kind of exactly and it's a perfect story too in many ways because it's a rise and fall it's literally yeah sure and it's like and, and, and I mean, especially like rock music biopics it's kind of that's kind of the formula that they take because usually it results in someone's death or something happens that makes them not be able to do what they're famous for i always prefer like the non-linear especially biopics like the ones like i'm not there i guess like lerman's a good example of the like i mean it, it is pretty straightforward it's probably more straightforward than i'm thinking now but it's just uh i like when they're doing something interesting or different with it that you know, because Elvis' story has been told dozens and dozens of times in like documentaries and other biopics. And it's sure. kind of, you're right. Like, it's kind of like they keep coming back to Elvis, though. Right. So, so he has yeah, to be I mean, something. Something's there. Yeah. Why tell it straight again? I don't know. I I mean, I thought um, he really he went for it in terms of mixing the like the the vintage audio with more contemporary sounds to make it palatable and interesting for a modern audience that's something that either you feel like it works or doesn't work i am very skeptical of that kind of thing and in this case i felt like it really worked first of all you can go and listen to the original versions if you want they're out there like we've heard them a million times and you know i don't think the original recordings are sacred and shouldn't be messed with he definitely like cranked up the sexuality um Mm -hmm. which i think is important because that was a big part of the appeal and you know, you can watch old footage of somebody from the 50s and it can look kind of corny. So a combination of Austin Butler's performance and the music and the way that it was shot and the costumes and everything else like really leaned into that part of the story and made him not some corny old person from the 50s, but like a real sex symbol. And that I think was, again, that can really flop. Boz Lerman's not afraid to, you know, take a big swing. And I think people connect to it. I mean, I'm not the demographic, but it certainly seems like Austin Butler (laughs) made himself a lot of fans among uh, men and women who appreciate what he brought to the table here. (laughs) And um, that's part of it. You know what I mean? Like that's that's what music and movies are about. Also, it's like being fun and and being sexy and all these kind of things like that's that's part of the game. And so so that as opposed to like a biopic that's like very serious and it's like, uh, oh, this person's so important and we have to be reverent to this, you know, and, and look up to this person as an idol. And, you know, it was more like, hey, like, you know, people were really turned on by this dude. And and that's OK, too. You know what I mean? Like, that's part of the story. That's, you know, that's a big part of what he was about. So and I think um, it's yeah, also I mean, that the movie's got plenty of flaws so we can talk discuss that. But like, there's a lot that I liked about it. I think it captured really well so that you kind of articulated on a little is that Elvis was like a threat, especially in that early to mid 50s to like the establishment in many ways, the way he presented himself, his stage performance style. And I feel like that's one of the things I thought this movie captured perhaps better than almost any 
thing I've seen about Elvis is that he was a he was villainized, that he was just completely demeaned, just not liked by certain segments of the country. And we take for granted a little because we're like, oh, he's just shaking his hips and he's just singing these right. very provocative songs. But God, can you imagine 1955 or 56 watching this man have like these out-of-body experiences almost on stage and people are losing their minds? It's crazy. Yeah, I mean, it, it you know, it, I, I think the movie really attempted to put yourself in that position and to, yeah, to see the kind of threat and danger there. And, you know, again, it's uh, people can have a different opinion. But for me, like, I, I got it. Uh, you know what I mean? It was entertaining. And I, 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 I respected that attempt. And yeah, so for, I mean, that, that stuff all worked for me. Like it just, you know, it didn't fall flat. And, uh, you know, it exactly like he, he captured parts of it that like sometimes these these biopics can be like so so snoozy because it's like, oh, this person was like, we just have to look up to this person all the time and admire them. And everything they did was so great. You know, I don't know. Well, it moves at such a frantic pace. Lerman's the way he tells the story that it's almost like you don't breathe for a single minute or think because it's just like, yeah, you just keep going. And I kind of feel like it's almost like a roller coaster, but it's. I'm I'm all for the ride because it's just boom, boom, boom. And it it just doesn't stop. It doesn't let you kind of breathe. And I think that for some like movie watchers or listeners, it might be a little too much, but I feel like at least he's doing something with the story that really, I don't think we've seen before. And Austin Butler's performance is just incredible in this movie. Like, he is Elvis. Like, if you look at a picture and if you, like, close your eyes, you really think he's Elvis. Like, it's incredible. Yeah, I mean, he's great. And I think, you know, it's the right subject for Baz Luhrmann. Like, I don't want to see Baz Luhrmann's Leonard Cohen biopic. You know what I mean? Like, it's just not (laughs) – I mean, I don't know. But, that you know, it's just not the right fit. Uh, But Elvis, like, is so over the top. And, you know, the the whole Vegas phenomenon he became, you know, totally fits – the the Baz Luhrmann aesthetic so like you can't say I mean I've been to Graceland like you cannot tell me this movie is over the top versus how this guy really was and the real world that he lived in I mean it's you cannot make it more over the top than his real life well when the movie was announced that he was going to direct it a lot of people are like oh I'm like this you're right this is a perfect Baz Luhrmann person because it's someone whose story is so grandiose and so multi-layered this is perfect for Brosler, but like he's going to eat that up and he's probably going to make something at least interesting out of it, whether we like it, that's to each their own. But yeah, I was, I thought the same thing when this was announced that, yeah, this is like right up his alley. Yeah. Butler is incredible. Do you think he will win the best actor Oscar when it comes in March or? I don't know. I, I haven't looked at, um, I, honestly, like today's been a busy day. So I really haven't looked at all the nominations. I'm kind of an Oscar nerd. I have not missed watching the Oscars in over 30 years. <laughs> and uh, so I definitely geek out about the Oscars. Um, but today, just I really did not take the time to look through the list. And honestly, like this is one of those years where, uh, you know, just because of whatever life circumstances and being busy, um, we've got a lot of movies to catch up on. Like my wife and I were talking about this tonight. And so like, I haven't seen probably a lot of the movies that other things are nominated for, you know, so I, I don't want to, you know, kind of judge other than to say that like, and I also haven't looked at, you know, like the, I hasn't really haven't paid that much attention to the other awards. Cause usually like 
the this award and that award kind of predicts the Oscars, like the SAG award typically predicts like uh, who's going to win best actor. I haven't really paid attention to the, the award season stuff this year as much, but I mean, I wouldn't be surprised. I mean, he's clearly is a like a guy that I'm sure he's done work before, but I really hadn't heard of him before this movie. And now the guy's no question, a huge star so off the top of my head. I mean, I could definitely, Brendan Fraser seems to be getting so much love. Saw like some speeches and stuff that he'd given that were like really uh, heartwarming. I haven't seen the movie yet. It's fantastic. I saw it on Sunday. Bill Nye, yeah, yeah, it's good to know. And Bill Nye is like, you know, a lot of times it's like there's a older guy uh, or or woman who it's like never really got their you know kind of respect or awards, and and people want to kind of give it to him. Sometimes I feel like those end up in the supporting actor, you know, or actress categories. But I wouldn't predict. But um, yeah, I mean, I want to catch up on those movies. But you know what's kind of weird? Just thinking about this for a second, David. Those five names have never been nominated for an Oscar ever. And I think that's the first time since I think I would have to go back to like the 30s or 40s that all five of the nominees have never been nominated for any Oscar ever. And they're all for lead, which is incredible. Like I would have to like look to see the year that the last time that happened. But yeah, because usually there's some like veteran actor in the mix that has right. at least been nominated, but it's kind of like refreshing almost that you have five actors that have not been nominated. I mean, Austin Butler is very young, but some of these other actors, you'd be, they haven't been nominated yet, but uh, yeah. Yeah. You'd think, I mean, I guess Brendan Fraser was like mostly in like action movies and comedies when he was younger. So that doesn't really, you know, get the, get the respect and um, you know, Bill Nye, I guess. Yeah. Again, maybe, um, you know, he's just one of these guys who's always been there. But maybe never got the you know attention that he deserves. But uh, yeah, I mean Colin Farrell too. I mean it's I, I feel like now everybody loves him and respects him as an actor. But there were all those years where he was like kind of trying to be a uh, more of a mainstream star, and it's like it turns out that he really was a character actor all the time. You know, in the in the in the face of a you know super charismatic leading man. Why he didn't get nominated for Miami Vice, I don't know because that movie should have won every award in my opinion. But you know, <laughs> I love that movie. I'm a, uh, it's so good. Michael Mann is one of my favorite directors. Just like I don't think yeah, he's he's great. Really made too many bad movies. Really, honestly, like I've liked almost everything I've seen uh, that he's ever done. We talked about Austin Butler, but I want to ask your take on uh, Tom Hanks's uh, portrayal as Colonel Parker because I know. Wait, that uh, was Tom Hanks. That the white was it. <laughs> <laughs> maybe it was a bit all along and it wasn't really tom hanks it was like a tom hanks impersonator um yes i mean tom hanks as us as colonel tom parker i mean he's definitely as andy said like he's definitely doing a thing um but um boy it does not work on any level in my opinion <laughs> and uh it is such a weird so many weird choices the makeup is terrible the voice is terrible I mean, I'm not saying like anybody who's discussed this movie, like this is not I'm not breaking any news here, but it is rough. And uh, I just don't know the the thought process that went on to, went into that. But, you know, or who was like, yeah, this is really working. Let's let's keep going down this road. I, you know, I just I, I, I have nothing to say about it other than it just like is a total a total flop for me. And it doesn't ruin the movie because like, it's not that kind of movie that's like delicately bound. You know, if there had been like a terrible performance in like Banshees of Inisherin, you'd be like, well, that, you know, it's just all about these perfectly calibrated performances, but it's a Boz Lerman movie. It's over the top. It's Elvis. Like if something is ridiculous and stupid, it's okay. You know what I mean? It's like, it's, that's what it's fine. Like it's all in that crazy stew that he's, that he's bringing to the table. But uh, yeah, oof, it is rough. 
Oh, it's rough. And like I saw it in theaters the first day it was out in June. And I remember people were like, oh, he might get an Oscar nomination before they saw it. And I was like, after I watched it, I'm like, oh, no, it's not that yeah. good at all. And I like Tom Hanks. Don't get me wrong. Like, Tom Hanks is one of my favorite sure. actors. But I mean, yeah, this is sure. also, he did Pinocchio this year and he played Geppetto. And some of his choices lately are not that good. I didn't see The uh, Man Called Otto that just came out, but it's, oh, like Tom, I don't know if you need to. <laughs> these movies really like i don't know but it's just what's going know. on i i i probably have not seen a movie that tom hanks starred in in year i can't remember the last i mean it's been a long time i just haven't really kept up with his uh oeuvre uh the man called auto one i mean it seems to be doing well and yeah. i mean i'm not opposed to watching it the it was based on this uh swedish film a man called uve which was actually really good um i liked yeah. it a lot my wife grew up in Sweden, um, part of her childhood. So when that came out, it was like, oh, a Swedish film that's like actually getting some love. Then we checked it out and we, and we enjoyed it. And um, it had some kind of personal family resonance for us. So, you know, I'm, I'm kind of, I, there's part of me that's kind of curious to see the American version, but um, yeah, I don't know. I, if he was doing the Colonel Tom Parker voice, that'd be great. <laughs> just What if he just did that for every role from now on? Like whatever, a guy in World War II, but as Colonel Tom Parker, like I'm the snowman. It'd be great. Uh, yeah, I, I mean, it's so weird because you have like such a all time great performance almost. But from Austin Butler, it's just it's incredible. Then you have Tom Hanks as uh, Colonel Tom Parker. You're like, oh, God, like this is just this is painful to watch anytime he's on screen. And I think he's nominated for a Razzie for that performance as Colonel Tom Parker or something. I I don't know. Yeah, it's rough. And I don't know. I just don't know if he was like doing a bit or like what. Uh but um I don't know. It's like it it's like a big, dumb, entertaining, crazy movie. So like uh, on the other hand, who cares? Like, you know, when like Elvis is gonna be on the screen in a second, you can watch that, you know? So I don't well, know. Well can it, I ask you something about the movie because at the beginning it's colonel tom parker who's like narrated in this story did you like that decision that lerman did with that i guess so because like it just gave the movie like a framing device Mm -hmm. and like a point of view so setting aside the quirky performance if it had just been like elvis is born in his twin like you got to start the movie somewhere and so it was you know it was an interesting kind of vision an interesting kind of take I guess Tom Parker in some way is supposed to be like the audience stand in where like he's watching Elvis and you're watching through him and understanding things through him. Um, You know, so that's fine. You know, I don't really have a problem with that kind of framing, you know, the end of it when him gambling everything away and then dying in the bus, it's like, who cares? (laughs) But, you know, it kind of gets the movie rolling and, you know, introduces a kind of narrative thread of this dynamic of, of, you know, the, the relationship, the, friendship and then the conflict between the two characters so i mean otherwise it's just like things happening here's elvis and then this happens and then this happens you know so there has to be some narrative of an interpersonal dynamic to to kind of carry it through yeah i kind of weirdly liked it on this rewatch a little because like the way that it's colonel parker telling the story or narrating it because if you think about he's in control of elvis so of course in a weird way he's gonna have control over the narrative too in a way because he had him under his thumb so it kind of weirdly made sense to me i was like okay like i kind of i understood that decision a little bit more because when i saw it in theaters i was like oh this seems like very manipulative and not really it didn't really land well at first for me but then i've kind of softened up i think a little bit on that so do you think parker this is i'm coming up with this off 
the top of my head. This is a le- to say this theory is half baked would be to overstate the amount of baking it's been doing. But do you think uh, that Tom Parker is maybe a stand in for Boz Lerman? Like he's this showman. He's this guy who is this razzle dazzle guy. And he's telling you this story. And maybe he's misunderstood. And maybe he, you know, like maybe like Boz Lerman really kind of buys into the the Tom Parker, uh, uh, you know, narrative that's being told here. And there's like this layer of him telling his own story uh, of, you know, being this guy behind the scenes who's pulling the strings and and creating these entertainments that the world falls in love with. And then people will criticize him sometimes. But I don't know. Uh, that's that's the that's the amount of uh, cooking that theory's done, but I don't know. But I love the half baked ideas, by the way, because I think like they could either be really good or not good. I actually think that there's something to that because Lerman is such a polarizing filmmaker for so many moviegoers. Like I have so many friends who love him, and then just as many who can't stand him, and they think like it's trash and it's just I don't know. But like I feel like I can kind of see that because even in the movie, Colonel Parker is like a circ- he runs a circus, right? In, in the movie, right. So it kind of weirdly makes sense that he would be the one who's kind of leading this story. I mean, if you think of it like Elvis, almost like a circus performer, because that's what it ends up being when he goes right. to Vegas. Sure. He's pretty much, you know, like dance monkey dance kind of to, right. to, to Elvis. But I feel it could be a weird metaphor for Boz Lerman, which I never really thought about until now, because you're right. He kind of does get mocked, but hey, his movies make money and they're People always, like they're, they're never boring. I will say that, like, even if the movie's like, right, and Australia, uh, very, uh, at least it's, he's doing something interesting. Yeah. Were there any moments in the movie that stood out to you on this rewatch about this? Um, I mean, it's pretty much the, the, the live stuff that, um, you know, mm-hmm. that I think really works because, you know, Austin Butler is so committed to that. You know, the stuff when he's arguing with the Colonel or dealing with his family stuff, it's kind of like whatever. But when it gets to the, I mean, it's basically a musical, right? So like when it gets to like the song and dance elements, that's when the screen kind of lights up. So whether it's the very early stuff to the, uh, you know, the Memphis comeback spe- special, to the you know vegas kind of deterioration but still that huge triumphant thing like where he kind of has this uh vision of how he wants the music to be and putting the band all together and all that stuff that that's the stuff that kind of stays with me is like the you know the kind of like a live simulated elvis performance yeah that stood out to me on this one and i saw like did you see this in theaters no no i didn't I saw it and it was just incredible to watch. I, I saw like a, I guess it was almost like an IMAX uh, screening and it was just, you felt like he was like right there. It was hypnotic almost to watch because you would think that's the actual Elvis. Yeah, I, I, the live performances absolutely were to be the standout. And just some of the other moments that I liked were like when he talks to like BB King and he watches Little Richard. And I don't know how much of that is historically accurate. And I really don't care if it is or isn't, but just some right, of the again, things are really just great to to see on screen. Yeah. I mean that stuff's fun. It can be fun in a, you know, biopic, you know, a musical biopic type of thing where it's like all of a sudden this other person that you know of or you're familiar with pops up and, you know, it's kind of like somebody's interpretation of it. Uh, I think that's Guy Clark Jr. as um, Big Boy Crudup, I think. And um, I'm trying mm-hmm. to remember who the other people are that uh, that are that are playing the musicians. But I don't remember off the top of my head. Yeah, that stuff's fun. The live stuff. I mean, my parents saw Elvis in Vegas and they still talk about it, you know, 50 years later. <laughs> you know, so the sort of, you know, the the excitement and magnetism that, you know, just being able to convey like a little bit of that, it, I thought was uh, 
you know, that's again the stuff that kind of that kind of sticks out. I um actually have like a kind of like a little bit of a family connection with Elvis. Oh, if that, I don't I don't know if that's us. interesting at all. No, like, any, you can cut this or whatever. I don't any know. connection to but the I'm, king I'm, is worthy. Yeah, I'm. I mean, I love Elvis. I love his music, and I grew up on it. My grandfather, my grandfather's family, they were in Philadelphia after the war, World War II. They have this uh, furniture store and they start selling well, like 78, you know, players, not stereo because it'd be mono at the time, but, you know, audio players. And so like then it's like you got to sell the software and move the hardware. So they start selling records and it kind of became a record store. And then they got into the jukebox business. And this is when the jukeboxes were huge. So my grandfather would put pick the songs for all the jukeboxes all around Philadelphia. Like they had all the jukeboxes and all the bars and restaurants and whatever. And in those days, that was like a very important thing in the music industry because if you pick the right songs then people would you know put their nickels and dimes in the jukebox and the you know operator would be happy you know what i mean like you had to you had to perform like you had to select the song you had to have the ears to pick the right songs that were going to play in that particular jukebox in whatever part of town whatever demographic the bar or restaurant was you had to place the right kind of music so um my grandfather was known for having great ears and being able to like pick up you know, star a, a hit song, you know, before before it happened. And so when RCA was going to sign Elvis, they brought him around to all the big cities to introduce people and meet and greet and schmooze and to kind of get, you know, get their people's impression of him. So, you know, they said, um, hey, you know, we're we want to introduce you guys to this guy, Elvis Presley, who like they, you know, heard, you know, he'd been on the radio and stuff. So it wasn't like they didn't know who he was. And so like they went out to dinner. My grandfather and grandmother with the people from the record company and Elvis. And, you know, apparently he was like so polite and so nice, like a Southern gentleman, you know, holding out the chair for my grandmother and all this kind of stuff. And whenever he would come back around. So my grandfather like identified, oh yeah, this guy's going to be big and put his records in every jukebox, like whatever, you know, black, white, whatever, you know, it was like, this guy's going to cross over to every different demographic. And of course, he was huge, right? And my parents and my grandparents eventually moved to like a nicer house in the suburbs. And my grandfather would call it the house that Elvis built. <laughs> and, um, and so, you know, whenever he would come back around through town, like whether he was playing a concert or whatever, and my grandparents would be there, he would always remember. I mean, this is part of his job. And, you know, maybe people would whisper in his ear. I don't know. But like, he would always like say and thank my grandfather, you know, oh, thank you. When I was just kind of starting out and coming out of Memphis, like you put my records in every jukebox. And that really made me go so big in this city. And, it, you know, means so much to me. And he, the kind of character of him, you know, I know he certainly had his flaws. <laughs> I'm not trying to like make him into some, you know, some perfect guy. But on that level of that, of kind of being a gentleman and being a professional and being career oriented, you know, and, and being able to play the game, you know, that's the stories that kind of came down to me. And so, yeah, I think this movie like does capture that part of him in a way because he definitely is not just a rube who falls for whatever the Colonel tells him, right? Like, you know, even in the early scenes when like they're at the carnival, they're on the Ferris wheel talking about his, you know, like he has a vision for his future that he wants to follow. And yeah, he's maybe somewhat naive and he follows the colonel maybe too far. But like he eventually has the determination and the focus to try to express what he wants to do. So you get the Memphis comeback schedule special and all that stuff. And so, you know, I was happy to see that kind of part of him and not just be have him be portrayed as this southern dope who like didn't know one thing from another and only was good at singing on stage, but actually had a character, had a vision, had a sense for his career, even though it was flawed, even though he'd made mistakes. Anyway, 
I thought that was that part of it kind of resonated with me. He had agency. Like he's not just this like yeah. dumb southern hick. I think that's kind of what the store like at least I agree. That's you know what I took away from this too. It's like, oh, he actually has a brain and he could kind of see what is going on. And I mean, you're right, he does make a lot of like really questionable decisions or really not sure great decisions, but he's human and the story would not yeah. be as interested if he had not made mistakes. So for me, it's right, like, exactly. it added to that more. Let me ask something that I've always thought about with this movie is, was there any moments in like Elvis's life or career that were not in the movie that you think it would have been fun for Lerman to kind of have included? I'll give you one that I think is really important, I think, for the 70s was the whole like him and Nixon. Like, I know it had nothing to do sure. with it, but it would have been really interesting to see what the hell Lerman would have done with that. But were there anything else in his like life or, or career that you were kind of like, oh, I wish maybe they put a little bit more on that or added to it? Yeah, I don't I mean, I'm trying to think. I mean, they they didn't do really a Nixon thing. They didn't really show him like meeting the Beatles and people like that. I mean, they really glossed over the Hollywood era after he came back from the war or from the service rather. They really kind of just like montage right through his whole Hollywood career, which I think, you know, had more ups and downs than they kind of portrayed. And it would have been interesting to just maybe see more of his um, experience in Hollywood and what that was like. I mean, you know, there were whole relationships, obviously, that, you know, with Anne Margaret and other people that didn't, you know, make the cut. And this I mean, this movie is long enough already. <laughs> you know, it's yeah. not a short movie. So, I mean, I can imagine like the, you know, eight hour <laughs> director's cut where it's somebody playing, you know, whatever, Anne Margaret or this one or that one. You know, I mean, you could have had more celebrity cameo bits with all the different people that he encountered in his life. But, um, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I, I don't know that any of those things would have really advanced the narrative that they were telling in the movie. Yeah, that's kind of what I was thinking as you were talking. I was kind of thinking like the same thing. I was like, well, some of the things I would like to have seen, it would have been nice to see him interact with more musicians or more industry people, even in passing. Right. But it, but I mean, how is that advanced in the narrative at hand or telling his story that like Lerman is trying to uh, tell? I don't know if it, it does. And you're right. It's like a three hour movie as is. It's, you know, right. It's like, yeah, I mean. As a music nerd, you like to know more about him harmonizing with the Jordanaires or something. But, you know, it's does that really, again, is that serving the movie? Yeah, I, I agree. What did you not like about the movie? Because you said earlier yeah, that I mean, there were a few was, things you didn't like. Which, uh, what, what were some things that you kind of found, I guess, flawed? Yeah, I mean, the main thing is really the, the, uh, the Tom Hanks performance. The rest of it, you know, the performances, were, other than that, were fine. The young woman who plays Priscilla, I thought, uh, came off really well. And um, look, I mean, could it have been tightened up maybe <laughs> a little bit? Sure. Like, could you probably lose 10 or 15 minutes of montage and gotten a two and a half hour movie instead of a two hour, 45 minute movie or something? Sure. But I don't know. I mean, that none of those are like super big flaws. The biggest sore thumb is the Colonel Tom Parker bit. Yeah, I think so, too. And I feel like that's probably the part of the movie that I didn't really care for as much i'm trying to think if i did like how the movie kind of helped focus a little bit more on the vegas right like residency because really if you think about like the way the story is told 
it's pretty much like it skips over the 60s almost entirely pretty much like it's very condensed right. like i was watching it i thought to myself like oh wow we're at the halfway point we're like 1970 it's 69 and it's so yeah definitely some tightening up in the narrative but i also appreciate the fact that elvis like just the brief move is like i do like that elvis kind of incorporate some of his i guess political or like like about martin luther king and robert kennedy's assassinations i kind of appreciate that because that's something that people tend to not think about with elvis but like when he did that performance um on his uh special like that was a bold statement for for that time and i'm kind of glad that lerman included that because that was the country was divided i mean in many ways so him doing that was kind of important. Yeah, I mean, Lerman clearly has a take on the Elvis's racial stance controversy that's been ongoing for 60 plus years and is never going to end, right? I mean, you get the like Chuck D, you know, Elvis never meant shit to me, he was racist, you know, kind of (laughs) bit. That's the one take. And then you have the other take, or maybe another, another take of the many different facets of this that the movie takes, which is very much that Elvis was a person who felt deeply connected to African-American culture, you know, the blues, the gospel, etc. He uh, identified with other people from less fortunate circumstances. And he just, he, you know, he was not looking to just appropriate black culture but rather was just a, a real artist who was taking whatever inspired him and looking around and taking those pieces and and combining them into something that was meaningful for him and that he had genuine deep friendships with other you know African American musicians and other people in that community now I don't know if that's true or not I don't you know I'm it's not for me to say um but that is clearly the position the movie is taking and that's kind of in the eye of the beholder you could watch that and see the scenes of like the young Elvis, you know, the young boy Elvis sneaking into a tent and peeking at, you know, a guy playing the blues with, you know, people kind of dancing very suggestively to that um, or or going into the black gospel tent um, revival and having the preacher say like, oh, he's got the spirit in him, you know, and, and, and like literally like here is a black gospel preacher literally saying he's one of us. You could look at that and say that's that is uh, a little bit of a stretch. You could you could buy it. I don't really you know, I don't really know that I have much of an opinion about it. But uh, yeah, I mean, the, the, the movie doesn't shy away from that aspect. And I mean, nor should it. I mean, you got to take you can't just ignore that. I think that would be worse than taking a position yeah because even like you see scenes of him listening to like big mama thornton sing hound dog or they they sing it's all right in the tent and it's this notion that even the idea of rock and roll like it did just come out of nowhere It, it has all these roots and these figures that inspired elvis and you know because the claim sometimes like oh he just copied them which is like that's like i think sometimes easy answer but i think it's just like he got inspiration to kind of make his own stamp on it because to me what the movie captured really well too is that he's a great singular voice like his singing style you know elvis the second he sings he just has one of those right vocal ranges and styles but also the fact that he's just such a good interpreter of other people's songs we hear him cover different songs and i think that's an aspect that of the movie that i really liked was that you kind of hear that in some of the um, the songs that are chosen in Elvis. But yeah, like I think that I'm glad that he included some of those figures. And you're right, he they kind of had to address at some point because it's such a um, that's a 
debate that's never ever gonna stop but you know yeah they kind of they kind of allow the colonel to be a little bit of the racial villain i mean just in the very beginning of the movie when like you know they're listening to the to the 45 of that's all right mama before they've ever seen elvis and you know the colonel's like well the losing a hayride will never let a you know african-american or black singer on they're like oh you know the guy goes oh no he's white and he's like he's white and like the camera zooms in on him you know <laughs> it's like ding 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 you see the dollar signs ringing in his eyes <laughs> and it's like okay they let him be kind of the bad guy to um you know be the the, the racial exploiter and, and the elvis kind of gets off the hook and he's just the pure artist who's taking all these different aspects of what is around him that inspires him and and channeling that into his art now you know maybe that's an easy out i don't know but uh, they they had to do something. So I, I mean, someone called Colonel's the villain. I'm shocked. Don't get it. <laughs> yeah, it's exactly. just like, uh, yeah, he's definitely the the villain in this story. And even like at the very end, where like you said earlier that he uh, he pretty much died in Vegas, penniless, and going to slot machines. Like I really don't give a shit about Colonel Burger. He literally ruined this guy's life and he worked him to death. I mean, because that's really what killed Elvis was that he was overworked and he never got right. enough rest. And you're just a terrible, terrible person. <laughs> yeah. On, on so many levels. Also, the movies depiction the of his prescription drug use did like I thought that I mean that's also of course another aspect that you have to focus on because of you know especially later in his career when he became dependent on because he had to perform and right like, and those scenes definitely like almost like a horror movie to watch this guy who's right. like drugged out of his mind and they're trying to put him in like an ice bath to like wake him up and he's like they gotta get on stage just the guy can't even like he's asleep like unconscious come on right <laughs> Right. Like they had no like concussion protocol or whatever in those days. It's just a, the show must go on. And, um, you know, look, I mean, that's how it was for performance back then. I'm sure even right. now, I mean, you hear about people who are just like, oh, you know, life on the road is, you know, is killing me. And, uh, you know, maybe nowadays we're a little bit more sensitive to allowing people's health concerns. Uh, you know, like I saw today, uh, Bell and Sebastian was supposed to go on tour and Stuart Murdoch's having some health issues. So they canceled the tour. And what the commentary I saw about it, you know, nobody was, well, screw these guys. They got to get back. You know, the show must go on. Now, obviously, Bell and Sebastian and Elvis are not quite the same level of um, thrilling excitement, although I like, you know, I like Bell and Sebastian. But um, it's just an example that popped into my head of uh, the fact that nowadays we we at least try to recognize these are, you know, human beings. And, uh, you know, but I don't know. Like, then again, you've got people going out on tour over and over and over again. And I'm sure it's still not a healthy lifestyle. Maybe not like it was back in the day, but uh, sure seems like there was a, you know, a lot of craziness going on. Oh, yeah. And I, I absolutely agree. I'd even know about his his health uh, for Bell and Sebastian. So I don't, that yeah, was I don't know what it is. I just saw that. But yeah, there you go. we hope he uh, feels better. Yeah. Breaking Hang in news. there, Stuart Murdoch. Yeah, most definitely. <laughs> um, Keep making those gentle 60s influence uh, folk pop songs that we love so much. Yeah, they're really great. Like indie darlings of, uh, yeah. of yeah. So, but yeah, I I really um, overall enjoyed this movie. I think that it's one that I, I know when I talk to different people and friends and whatever, it kind of was some really loved it and some were like a little disappointed. And I'm, if you've seen any of Lerman's movies, you know what you're getting. So it's a matter of you have to understand who is the creator of this movie, <laughs> and that's how you're going to yeah. either enjoy it or 
maybe not even like it at all. Yeah, I feel like the the the, situ- the circumstances to watch it are either like you watched it in IMAX, which I'm sure was overwhelming and great. Uh, my co-host Andy, he watched it on a plane, if I'm not mistaken, and like, boy, that flight would just go by. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's this will pass the time. You're not going to be bored, and um, you know, it's just constantly something happening to stimulate stimulate your senses. So you know, those, it's it's kind of like one of those in between, you know, kind of situations. But um, as a person who uh, generally is a grouch about biopics and is like, why don't you just watch a documentary? <laughs> Um, uh, this one is, uh, I, I would put it as an exception of, of one that I actually, uh, will admit that I really liked and yeah. had a lot of fun with. I, I agree. And I think it's also a movie that could hopefully inspire the current generation of music listeners that maybe were unfamiliar with Elvis. Cause I do think that that was a problem a little bit was like his kind of legacy. It kind of faded as especially the 21st century rolled on a little like it yeah. wasn't as bright i mean he's still like a towering figure but like it's not quite the beatles or like even the rolling stones or you know someone that's like pretty much really beloved in in cult- the culture yeah in the culture like aretha franklin has that moment right now in the last like five or to ten years like i feel like that people are like rediscovering Aretha Franklin, especially since her past and where she's getting up there with, I always think like top 10 all time artists. I mean, she always was, but you know, Elvis and Dylan. And so it does seem like, yeah, I mean, I think people still know, you know, even before the movie came out, like know his name, know his image. You know what I mean? But I think just because the early music, like is now old enough that like it can seem a little quaint probably and the later work 70s stuff is so bombastic that it's a little sometimes difficult and there is great stuff in between i mean there's great stuff he recorded in memphis the late 60s and and even in the music soundtrack you know the the the, um the movie stuff there's you know there's great nuggets hidden in there but um you know a lot of his stuff cannot can be a little unapproachable to to modern years, I think. And so um, this uh, movie, if it if it recontextualizes him and, you know, gives people the opportunity to kind of like get an understanding of where he was coming from. And that's an entree into the music. Then that's a that's a win as far as I'm concerned. I don't know. Yeah, to me, that's what's the beauty about like a movie like this or a movie that I really hated that came out like four or five years ago was Bohemian Rhapsody. Because I just thought right. that that was, oh God, it was just, people don't like music biopics. That's an easy target because it just, a lot of things weren't historically accurate and whatever. But as well, as great as he was as Freddie Mercury, I feel like at least it kind of helped reestablish Queen for another generation yeah. and then their legacy lives on. So that's like the one positive I- I'll say about that, even though Brian Singer is kind of a monster because he is. <laughs> Well, yeah, I, yeah. I mean, I don't, I don't hate that movie, uh, but I saw it in the theater. You know, I was entertained; it was fine. And then at the end, like, you know, there's a. I do think they did a really nice job with that, like, recreation of Live Aid, and that's fun. And then at the end, if you remember, like, over the credits, there's like vintage TV footage of a TV performance of Queen, like the actual Queen performing "Don't Stop Me Now," and it's like a billion times better than the movie. You know what I mean? And it's like they end with the real guy, the real people doing it and just live with one camera, like, you know, on some 1974 whatever TV show. And just the real thing is always superior. And so, uh, you know, that that's, you know, it's hard to compete. Yeah. But again, I mean, Queen is like bigger than ever. I don't know. When I was a kid, like growing up, like Queen were like one of many bands that were popular in the 70s and had some hits. And now I feel like they're more pop, like just in terms of streaming and other things like 
They're more popular than, you know, I don't know. They seem to be like one of the top five artists <laughs> still. And that's great. I mean, I like Queen. But uh, yeah, boy, they, they, uh, they're unstoppable. Yeah, don't stop them now. <laughs> uh, but yeah, so, don't stop uh, them now. Yeah, but uh, now we no. do have another. We do have another biopic that's coming up. Uh, supposedly, this has been in the works for a while, but they're talking about uh, doing a Dylan goes electric biopic. Have you heard about this one? Oh yes, because I'm a huge Dylan With, fan, and that was your first episode of yeah. your show, right? Was yeah. The- so I'm a huge Dylan fan, and so apparently they're doing a like Dylan comes electric biopic with Timothy Chalamet. And I think uh, I, they just announced that uh, what's his name, uh, Benedict Cumberbatch supposedly is going to pay Pete Seeger, <laughs> which is crazy. Oh my and god! Like, boy, yes. I just I'm so I'm so like God. I I don't I I cannot conceive that I'm going to enjoy this movie. I I just feel like I'm going to hate it, and and I never want to have that opinion. Like I don't I don't go into something wanting to hate. I don't hate watch things. You know what I mean? Like I want to enjoy, I want everything to be good. Boy, it's going to be, this is going to be a tough, uh, a tough sale to make this one work, but who knows? Maybe they will. I don't know. Maybe it'll be great. I love Bob Dylan. He's like the greatest thing in the world. So yeah, it's like, if it makes more people listen to Bob. Great. I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. Cause when I heard there was James Mangold who did the Ford versus Ferrari and um, right. Who was it? Ray. Didn't he direct Ray, if I'm not mistaken? No, that Mangold? was um, uh, Taylor Hackford. Taylor Hackford. Um, James Mangold yeah, uh, directed, yeah. oh, Logan. Those Wolverine. And, yeah, Logan. A couple of those Wolverine movies. He's done a bunch of stuff. Yeah. Yeah. It's just, it because it, when I heard that, I was kind of like, huh? And I was like, okay, like maybe this is one that's going to take me by surprise when it comes out. And I'll be like, okay, Timothy Chalamet as Dylan. Okay, I guess. <laughs> I don't know. I Who knows? Maybe it'll be great. I don't want to prejudge. Who what is that say? coming out? Is that this year or next year? I, th- I don't know. Probably next year. Who knows? Maybe It may never happen. This may be <laughs> another Bob Dylan mirage situation, but you just never know with the whole Bob Dylan phenomenon and what's going to happen at any point. But oh no, I can talk about Bob Dylan for hours and hours. So, you know, don't get me started. He's, he's the best. <laughs> oh, yeah. One of my favorites. Well, David, thank you so much for coming on the podcast to talk about Elvis. I hope you enjoyed our conversation. I did. I, I was really a pleasure. I really like your podcast. Oh, thank you. I, yeah, I, I I like the Teddy Pendergrass episode. I listened. I've been going back to the back catalog. The one about um, Bauhaus was great. The Smiths and uh, a few others have recent listened. There, you've got some great stuff on there. So I really appreciate what you're doing. Super nice of you to invite me on. Oh, and yes. um, yeah, I don't know if you like if you like what you hear. <laughs> Uh, or if you don't like you, what you hear, but you want to hear my what my co-host sounds like, check out Rock Docs. Uh, we're out there talking about music documentaries. We always like suggestions. In fact, Nick, if you have a uh, music documentary that you particularly love or, or want us to discuss, we are open to uh, suggestions. Yeah, if you ever need anyone, just let me know and I could... Because uh, that's actually one of my favorite things is rock music documentary. So like, I, if you ever want to talk about one, feel free to... We could set something up. And likewise, if Andy ever wants to come on the show, like if our schedules all align together, maybe we'll do another movie <laughs> down the line. Yeah. Or if you ever need uh, somebody to talk about fish, you'd be your guy. <laughs> <laughs> I get requests for fish all the time. It's kind of funny. And then like, I, and then it's, there's like five or six people I could ask. And then I don't want to like make enemies. Uh but uh yeah <laughs> you don't want to piss off the fish community god knows i've done but, enough to piss them off <laughs> but i would do it only for the downloads because you know that that would be insane because the fish fans are very fanatical so they come out there and yeah no slam on the fish fans oh no not, 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 not at all not, not my favorite music but that's okay 
And where could they follow, follow you on social media? Yeah, we are at Rock Docs Pod on Twitter and Instagram. And I don't know, that's probably about it. And uh, yeah, just Rock Docs, wherever podcasts are found. And um, yeah, check it out. Listen, let us know what you think. If you think it's bad, yell at us. Or if you think it's good, cool. That's tell a friend. I don't know. And, and I've listened to a lot of your episodes over the last several months. I've really enjoyed it. It's always good conversations. And it's always things that make me say, oh, I haven't seen this in a long time. I really should revisit it. The one on a Tribe Cold Quest I listened to recently. Oh, yeah. And I That's worked such a great documentary. It is. And it's Michael Rappaport, by the way. And it's. Yeah. Yeah. I, I just remember watching it on when VH1 Classic was a thing. And then that makes you feel old because that's like at least like seven or eight years that hasn't been a thing. And I remember taping it. And I'm just because I love Tribe Called Quest. And I listened to it. That one was fantastic. Um, they're all they're like everyone I've listened to is really great. That one I was like, I really got to rewatch that movie. Yeah. Uh, well, I mean, that's part if if somebody listens to our podcast and they're inspired to rewatch or check out one of these movies, um, that's awesome because that's we we love them and uh, we uh, love the conversation about it. So I really really appreciate it. Absolutely. And of course, you guys can follow us on Twitter, which is at Rock and Retropod. We're also on Instagram with that same handle and also Facebook. You can also follow me at Nick D. Bambeck if you want to see my personal Twitter account. Usually it's like Album of the Day or the Oscars or the Rock Hall or whatever I'm, in, I'm interested in. Some Something. Oh, like yeah. That. I want to talk to you about the Rock Hall. Yeah, please. I'm obsessed with the Rock Hall as well. So, um, yeah, I've I, your stuff about that is great. And um, anything about the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, I'm completely uh nerd out about so um yeah thank you for uh shining more of a spotlight on that uh i really enjoy that and i'm looking forward to your uh your thoughts as we get another um you know another uh year of announcements here coming up so i have my blog site that i use for pretty much the rock hall Uh, i just updated the top 100 prospects project was just kind of like the top 100 snubs so it's a list that always gets a reaction i try to be level-headed and fair but you know it's to each their own with the hall of fame and who's worthy so um and of course leave us a review on apple Podcasts. we need reviews to help discover all the great content we produce like this episode with david thank you so much for our <laughs> listeners for checking us out thank you again david and we'll talk to you guys later